0: You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Good morning. Uh, I'd like to start out. We have a dear sister in the faith, uh, Esther Wong. Many of you may know her, many of you may not. She Started coming here really shortly after we moved here. She has not been feeling good for a while, and that's very unlike Esther. She's had migraines. Her blood pressure's not there. She has no energy. Um, She's probably at home right now watching. So 1 Corinthians 12 says, when one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. So I'd like us to spend just a few seconds suffering along with our sister. Uh, If you know Esther, She's got a lot of energy and she just, it's not its not uh, joyful to see her this way. It's its tough on her, um, Kathy and her talk a lot about in the last couple of weeks. So let's just pray if we would uh, and and join in the suffering with our sister. Esther, uh, if you're watching or when you watch, uh, my dear sister in Christ, we love you. You are a joy uh, to Kathy and I. Uh, you're a joy to our community group. You're a joy to this fellowship, uh, this Your brothers and sisters here so know that we are suffering with you you will hold you up in prayer and in thought and in our minds we'll be with you in spirit uh and just fill us holy father uh, you love your dear daughter Uh, you created her through to glorify yourself in christ jesus Um, just be with her Um, i love the way she takes these times that you put her through Um, just hold her up during this time we thank you in the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things amen we come to Ephesians 3 and if uh, one interesting thing if you haven't studied Ephesians 3 a lot chapter 3 of Ephesians through the history of the church starting about 150 AD chapter 3 most uh, pastors and shepherds and theologians would tell you Uh, is the key theme to the book. It's why Paul wrote it. And I'm going to speak today on chapter 12, which is that we have freedom and openness and boldness with confidence. And from the confidence of Christ, we have to approach our Holy Father uh, with complete open access. It's a huge promise. This promise is right at the top of God's great promises. What he promised to Abraham, that all nations will come to you. What he promised from King David, that I will build my eternal kingdom under you. What he promised in Romans, that all things work for the good of those who love God and call according to purpose. And then Paul rattles off nakedness and famine and persecution and slaughter, all work for the good. This promise is right there. And sometimes we live in it, and sometimes we don't. So, what I want to do today on promises like this, you've got to stop and look at what is holding that promise up. What are the truths about God that are holding this promise up? And then I'm going to talk about five or six things that probably are the biggest obstacle for us to actually live here. Because I'm I'm sure we're sitting there right now, and a lot of us are saying. I don't know how to live in boldness and openness and freedom to access God, the Father, always. Some of us sit there well. Some of us don't. Some of us don't even know how to believe that promise. So I'm going to talk a little bit about obstacles. But most of the time, I'm going I'm to walk through. I'm going to introduce the two verses that when I studied them and when the truth fell upon me, I went, Whew. I can live here because I'm going to tell you probably the biggest problem why it's hard for some of us to live here. We simply don't know our role. Simply don't know what it is. And we try to do too much. We try to do God's role and we fail and we fail and we fail and go, well, I don't understand this promise. I can't live in this promise. I keep failing in this promise. So I'm going to go back and walk through uh, where two men in my life walk me through and hopefully that'll help all of us get here. Uh, so let 's pray, Almighty, Sovereign, and Holy God, uh, just come through my words to the people I dearly love in this in this building. and uh, to those who understand this truth, uh, let them just go deeper in it from your words today. And for those who are, are beginning to settle in on on the truth. Uh, of Ephesians three twelve, let them go deeper and to those in this room Lord that you know that have put their toe into the truth and the power of, of, of this verse and it scares them uh, or they think, think they're unworthy or they think they're just not bright enough or articulate enough or just don't understand it altogether, so they took their foot out Uh, May your words uh, allow them to just jump fully in and know that community of believers will take them deeper. Lord, so uh, guide us, open our ears, open our hearts, renew our minds as we go through this. But above all, Lord, let us live in the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ and all this. Amen. So I think the first thing I want to do is, as I looked at this, I had a man that's been discipling me. He's discipled me for almost 22 years now. I mention his name a lot, uh, Hod Bolchus. And Hod and I have gone through Ephesians several times in 22 years, or bits and pieces of it. And I called him a couple months ago, and we were talking about Ephesians. We were talking about chapter 3. And uh, as we were going through it, he said something. I said, whoa, 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 time out. Let's go back. I want to write this down. And it's up on the, up on the screen. And as we we're talking about mainly chapter 3, Hod said, and I love it, it's actually pretty cool that the culminating thought of God was always a church. And that through the church, God would preach a sermon to the universe of how powerful he is. And that statement, I think, sums up chapter 3 beautifully, if we understand it. And so what I want to spend just a little bit of time doing is how did Paul come to chapter 3, but mainly chapter 12, because that's what I'm going to concentrate on, and what was in Paul's mind that he could say, um, let me get to it real quick, apologize, Um, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So what I want to do quickly, five to 10 minutes, is start in chapter one and see what Paul tells us to get to chapter 12 with such a great promise. So if we look at chapter one, the big idea of chapter one is to the praise of God's glorious grace. That's it. It says it three times. That's the big idea. That's what God, that's what Paul wants us to concentrate on. Now he does that in a a little bit of ways in the first couple of verses. He says, there's a blessing in Christ to the praise of his glorious grace. Then he says, the blood of Christ gives the hope to us in Christ to the praise of his glorious grace. And then he says that we are sealed. We're secure in Christ to the praise of God's glorious grace. And so that one truth in Ephesians is to the praise of God's glorious grace. That's a main idea. And that whole idea and the rest of chapter one leads Paul to one thing, a prayer and a doxology, that one truth. So that's where he, Paul starts to build this foundation of you've got boldness and access to God. Then in chapter two, he takes all that truth in one and says, But Tim, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And we got to remember I'm dead. We're all spiritually dead. We're not spiritually sick. We're not spiritually blind. We're not spiritually lame. I'm in a coffin with 4,000 nails nailed on it, put in the ground 10 foot deep with a two-ton brick on it covered with 10 foot of dirt. I'm not going to come to spiritual life on my own. It's simply not going to happen. I am dead. The Greek word there is necrosis. And it stands for necrotic. And all the medical people in here fully know what necrotic means. I'm dead. But. That's the biblical word. The main point of chapter 2. Is. Starts in verse 4. So we're all dead. Verse 4. But God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love not just a little love a great love in which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace so this glorious grace that we should give praise to in chapter one he says and took you out of that Coffin, spiritual coffin, Tim, with 4,000 nails on it, a ton brick and dirt, I took you out of that. I raised you out of that to the praise of my glorious grace. He goes on to say, and he raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're already, Christ Jesus is already sitting there, and by the very fact that Christ is sitting there, we're sitting there, is what he's saying. Is that where we live? Okay. Keep going. So that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no man may boast. So the point of chapter 2 is... This glorious grace that we were just introduced to has the power to raise me from spiritual death. And it's a free gift of God. Why? Because he's got a little bit of love for us. That's what the Bible said, right? No. I have a great love for you, Bill. I have a great love for you, Miguel. That's main idea of chapter 2. There's a little bit more in chapter two about uh, breaking down walls of hostility and all that good stuff, but that's the main part of chapter two. Then we get to chapter three, and and, uh, Steve just read it, and Paul starts the whole thing out for this reason, I, Paul, an apostle. Then he gives us the reason why he's there. I've got a mystery to tell you. I've been able to take this mystery that has been hidden for ages and bring it to you Gentiles. And the mystery is this, that the church was always God's plan. Do you know how amazing it is to sit on this side of the cross? The author of Hebrews, who we don't know, would tell you that it is a privilege to be part of the church. Because all of our brothers and sisters that we're going to spill eternity in, that we're on the other side of the cross, they just hope for it. It was all this fuzzy illusion that they really couldn't understand. They hoped that that all this faith they had was going to come true. And whatever this little thing out here was that they fully didn't understand. That's the author of Hebrews says. And he says it's a privilege to be that way. The church has always been God's mind. Then this really neat thing leading up to it. He says, I love this part as he leads up to this. Verse 8 of chapter 3. To me, though I am very least of all saints, this grace, this glorious grace that God gives to cause us to praise him, has given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light everyone that is the plan of the mystery hidden in ages for God who created all things. Gift chapter, verse 10, live in it, people, so that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now, excuse me, now may may be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Wow. The church, it's through the church that the manifold wisdom, the multicolored wisdom of God will be manifested to the rulers and principalities of the heavenly realms. I want us to take one second. Don't stand up. Look around. Just look around the people around you. What do you see? Look close, people. This is God's creation. What was one nation for four or five, well, about 3,000, 4,000 years, that's only who God worked through, one ethnicity, Israel. The death on the cross God kept his promise that I will gather all my people. And when you, when you really study how the old church looked at manifold wisdom of God was Christ brings all of God's people back. All of them. All ethnicities are one people. My children. The rulers and the principalities have been looked at about three ways in church history. One of them is, well, it's basically four ways, a combination of the first two. One of them is the rulers and principalities and authorities are good angels. One thought, written for most of church ages, the rulers and principalities are bad angels. One other thought, they combine the two, that the rulers and the principalities in the heavenly places are both good and bad angels. And in the last 200 years, we've added to that, We've added that the rulers and the principalities in the heavenly places since earth is part of the heavens and, and part of God's creation uh, in the way that it's written here could be human uh, governments, okay? So I'm gonna tell you where I stand on this because I spent a lot of time studying it. I may be wrong, God, when God makes it clear to me, I will come and, and say, God took me farther. Where I am right now, because again, good and godly men and women have looked at this all four ways. I stand on that the rulers and the principalities in the heavenly places are both good and bad angels. And here's where I stand on it. Ephesians 6 tells me there's a bad on the cosmos, right? With evil fallen angels. But 1 Peter tells me that this salvation that we've been given, that Paul talks about in 1 and 2, that angels long to look at it. And you break that down in Greek, that the salvation through Christ, the very plan that God had to save all of us, when you look at the Greek, the angels in that port, it's good angels, they, when that long to look at, what it really means is that the heavenly angels stoop down to figure out what did God just do so we do that at home right we drop something on the floor I got trifocals I do a lot of stooping to look <laughs> I'm, it's, it's really bad when I got to work on the truck because I'm, I can't like that but think about, what, think about what God wants us to think when he inspired Peter to say that this salvation, this that chapter one and two of Ephesians, the heavenly angels, Gabriel and Michael, go. You really did that, God. Is that what you really did? You went down there and died for these rebellious people. And go The bad angels stoop too. Uh oh. They know they're done. That leads into, through the confidence we find only in Christ, we now have confidence to go into the Holy of Holies. The Israelites could never do that. There's always a curtain, they couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. When the priest went into the holy of holies, they used to tie a rope on him because if he wasn't holy enough, he died. And they pulled him out by a rope. And through Christ Jesus, through chapters one and two, he says, you have access, come and see me. It's not what he says. You have boldness to come and see me. The Greek word there is, you can openly come and talk to me. I will listen to your voice, Tim. And not only can you do this and you have access, you can do it confidently. Why? Because my son opened that up. If we would just grab this, it's an amazing promise. And if we, there's two things, we should just be amazed at it because it's a great promise and God promised, but it also was purchased by Jesus' blood. That's my introduction. So let's look at this promise. First and foremost, it's not self-confidence me, but it's confidence in Christ. Number one, I have no access to God without the finished work of Christ. Certainly not bold, certainly not open. Certainly not the freedom to go to to Jesus and go, or God, and say, I'm not sure what to do with this guy you just asked me to plant and irrigate. I don't know what to do with him. I can go talk to God about that. So what I want to do is, number one, number one, this confidence. Remember this confidence. We need to remember what is God trying to establish in this boldness and this confidence in Christ to have the genesis relationship with God again. That's what he's telling us we can have. We're not going to have we're not going to have it perfectly. That's that's eternity. But God through Christ in the promise of this says basically I've reestablished the relationship that I wanted with my image bearers in Genesis chapter 1. Okay? So first question we should ask ourselves is how do we live this way in Tim, it scares me to death. So the first thing I think blocks a lot of us is we're afraid we'll be ostracized. Our family may not understand us. My best friend may not understand me. My people at work may not understand it, right? The second thing is, and I think a lot of us feel this way I'm simply not qualified. And I really feel sorry for that. We live in a day of uh, celebrity pastors. And be quite honest, I'm really glad what God is. I'm really glad what God is doing with celebrity pastors. He's humbling them. Because we're gonna find out today, we're all just planters and irrigators. And anybody can take my place. And I hope somebody does. I'm 63 years old. I'm not gonna be around here much longer. I, I would like to stick around and, and spend some more time with all these people that God keeps growing with and all the babies that are coming but if God wants to take me home I'm quite ready right uh, we're fearful I get that I was fearful and when I was sitting there going um, Bill texted me a, a few weeks ago and um, he goes man I, I really hope you can talk about how how you've in your life have done boldness And I go I'm not sure how to do that and but um, I got to thinking about it I said you know what I'm gonna walk through One part of the Bible that when I understood it, I said, you know what? Now that I know what God expects out of me, it's a whole lot easier to come to him in freedom and access. Because any other way I came, when I analyzed it about 20 years ago, it was 100% pride. And we think we're unworthy. And none of those are true. Because if any of those are true, Christ's work wasn't complete. And Christ's work was complete. And actually, the author of Hebrew would say, if you really believe that, you're re-crucifying Christ. And I really feel sorry for you because I'm not sure how I get you back if you're going to try to re-crucify Christ. You are worthy. You should have no fear. If you got saved, in, if God saves you in this sermon today, you are 100% qualified to enter into the throne room of God with full confidence and full access and talk to God about whatever you want to talk to God about. It's not just me. It's not just Bill. It's not just Don Carson or or Piper or anybody else. If God looks to you and say, today I choose you and he saves you mightily this morning, guess what? This promise is yours. And if you get ostracized, you are in a great company. Paul got ostracized all the time. So, Turn to 1 Corinthians. There's two texts. I'm only going to go through one. You guys should be thankful for that. Uh, (laughs) I may read the other one because they're both powerful. I haven't decided to do that yet, but I want to go to chapter 3. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. My wife would be here in the back telling you, get it right. You're not pronouncing it. You're not introducing it right. She's she's my backup. I want to read verse, uh, I'm going to start in verse 5. And we're going to go to verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field. And so there's two sides to this story. One is, what is our role to the unbelieving world? And what is our role to each other? this text can be used both ways Um, and what we first find out is and this is where it really helped me is because our, our sometimes American Christianity puts or promotes or preaches or even disciples that it's Bill's work to grow people it's my job to grow people it's your job to grow people. You're saved. Go grow people. Biblically wrong. Because when I do that, I put my place in God's place. And when I first started growing up, guess what? I stood right there. And Hod came down and goes, it's way Hod could do it. He says, we need to talk. And we came in. He said, open your Bible. Open the Bible. Go to First Corinthians chapter 3. Okay? Read it. And he goes, of all people in the world, Mr. Eirich, is what Howard would call me, you should understand this verse. Why? For you guys don't know, I'm an Aggie. My background's agronomy, plant physiology. Over 45 years, I have farmed potatoes, corn, sugar beets, um, grapes, apples. I've worked in, last count, 75 different crops. I spent one and a half years in 2007 and 8 studying the physiology of germination. If anybody should understand what the planter does, should have been me, right? I was talking to our our Isaiah class this morning. I said, when God was intricately knitting me in my mother's womb, he gave me a thick skull. Why? Because it glorifies him. So what I want to do is, as Hod and I went through this, this text really made me understand my role. And the problem what Hod saw, saw was this ups and downs in my walk in this frustration, in this totally going silent for 30 days. And when Ha would confront me, I would say, I just feel unworthy. And he goes, yeah, because you're trying to do all the work. You're trying to grow people, not your job, Tim. So I want to walk through this. So a planter plant seed, right? So this is a corn seed. We're going to call him Connor this is a bean seed we're gonna call her bonnie uh radish seeds right here we'll call him randy and you can't even see these seeds i bet you can't most of you can't even see these there are 65 columbine seeds in here and we'll call this one charles Okay. this is what we're supposed to plant And sometimes, the very first time I got this, God said, Tim, here's a seed. Go plant it. And it was a bean seed. Notice it's a big seed. Can't hardly mess this one up. God's already done all the work. And what what I want to symbolize is a big seed is this guy. What did I name her? Bonnie, thank you. (laughs) Um, Bonnie would be somebody that Kathy and I would know that. No, she she loves God. She loves the idea of God. She knows that she needs God, right? And I can go deep with her because I can plant this seed pretty deep, and God will make it grow. Because my responsibility is to plant it. And to know how to plant a seed right, I got to know what the seed is. So there's a little bit of information I need on these people, right? How do I do that? Send me a resume before we come talk the first time so I'll get to know you. Uh-uh. So access to God, sitting, and go, okay, God, you gave me this person, what do we do? And you're sitting there praying and God says, well, Timothy and Kathy, you know, she really likes coffee. Bring her over and have coffee. That's what access to God does. You know, You know that she fully understands most of the gospel. She just... Needs a little bit of way, lead her down this way. See where it goes. You know where she's hurting. Love on her. Right? What does that mean? Got to take time. Right? The second thing you know about this seed, I gotta ask, you gotta ask when you're when God asks you to plant because there are responsibilities. I'm not getting the growth, but I do gotta realize where I'm putting it. Soil makes all the difference. The secret to germinating in seed is seed to soil contact. Your soil has to come in good contact with your seed. Which means I got to prepare a seed bed. Now, if it's just good old sandy ground like I dug out of my yard today, I can make a seed bed pretty easy out of that. That's pretty simple. The with problem with, with this part of the world, we don't have any clay. We had, I, I consulted and farmed cotton in the Delta, Mississippi, uh, north of Memphis. And it was gumbo. Big, heavy, dark clay. If you don't know how to work it, you get clods about this big and you can't get seed to soil contact. So what, you got to know what to do. So when you're sitting there doing that, you got to, again, know that person on how to plant it, right? And know what their life has been like. Their life has been a cloddy mess. You got to learn how to break the clods down. Because I still got to plant it. This seed cannot, God won't grow the seed if we don't plant it. So I got to get to know the people, right? And one thing I found amazed, after beans, he gave me corn. It's a big seed. Um, I can plant it pretty deep. Then one day, he put a person in my life. And he gave me a columbine seed in this person I said God I don't want that I'm afraid I'll even lose it it's tiny it's fragile I'm not sure I know how to plant that for you God because this one all in all is kind of easy unless I put this in a a soil that's going to crust God's going to pop it right out of the ground this one, you gotta put just a little bit of soil on it and you gotta have moisture, or it won't, right? And if, you get, if, if the soil's gonna crust, this little guy, if I, if I just ignore it and God's asked me to plant it, if I'm not sitting there saying, God, help me know this person more, if I don't feel that I can go to God and say, God, I'm totally inadequate for this. There's better men than me to plant that columbine seed. If I don't have freedom and confidence to go in front of my father when he hands me a columbine seed, then we should all be fearful. Because we're just, we're honestly, if not being able to go to access of God, we're gonna mess up this. We're probably gonna mess up a bean. I can plant corn two inches deep and God's gonna grow it through two inches. I plant this two inches deep simply because I don't get to take the time to know what type of seed this is and what makes this seed so fragile, what happened in this person's life that they're fragile and that Christ may be an offense to them and I've got to work through that to show them that Christ is never an offense and they're hardened but God said, yeah, I'm going to give them to you anyways. God's done that three times in my life. The first time He gave me a Columbine, because of this access and this freedom, with confidence, I walked in and I said, I messed up, I messed up with him, basically I planted him too deep, I was afraid that ground was going to crust and it would never come out of the ground, and the answer I got back from God very recently is, you're not one that makes it grow. (laughs) And if I was gonna use an agriculture metaphor because we're in a very much agriculture conversation, that crust that I created, I created it with that fully just not understand, not fully understanding the columban seed and the tenderness, but fully being a bit immature and thinking on how to walk with that person, God created a dew, softened the crust, created the growth. But what I learned in that is, if I come to him because he loves me and I love him and I treasure what he gave me. I, I was so happy the first time he gave me one seed. He gave me a seed? Thank you, God. I didn't know I was worthy to have a seed. Then he gave me more seeds. And then he gave me a columbine. I said, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Right? I, I, was, I thought it was great. Give me the big seeds. I'm good with those. Give me a pineapple seed. right? You ever, you ever seen a coconut? It's a big seed, can't hardly mess that up. It'll sprout when it sits on the sand. God said, No. I love you, Tim. I need to teach you something. But if I don't have access, if I'm fearful, I never even sit down and have those conversations, right? So there's one part of it knowing our role. We're planters. Then he says, You're not done. You got it up and growing. Somebody's got to come irrigate, you got to be an irrigator. Irrigation, winter wheat crop, planted today, in Kansas. Will be harvested next July and August. As dry as it is in Kansas today, if it's under irrigation, you're irrigating today. And you'll probably irrigate up to about three weeks before it's harvested. So you got to irrigate for about 200 days. What does that mean? Investment, time. If I overwater? I cause a problem. If I underwater, I cause a problem. Paul says, uh, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive a wages according to his labor. My irrigation and my planting is labor. Greatest job in the world. I get to work with God. But when I go in there thinking my irrigation isn't gonna make the nice big wheat crop. I'm going to get myself in trouble. When I go in there understanding I'm irrigating and from me being trustful to my God because he made me an irrigator and being happy that I'm an irrigator for God, he's going to grow it. And I'm just going to stand back and watch him grow. Happened to me again in 23 years. I was an irrigator. And I got busy and life got busy. And the one... One of the persons that God gave me to irrigate, his life got hot, and it got dry, Man, I missed irrigations, and it got tough for that person, but because God is graceful and merciful, and I got this great promise of being able to be bold and go into the presence of God and say, man, I messed up again. Didn't really fully understand this one. I didn't pay attention. I, I thought this soil was a bit heavier that he was planted in because I didn't do the planting on this person. I thought he was in good soil. Found out he was in sand. And when you're in sand, you got you to irrigate a lot. All right? He got dry. And you know what God said? Oh, but Tim, remember, you don't grow him. I grow him. And yes, you missed it. But in that missing... I grew his root down to moisture that was three inches below him. I grew his root. He's got into moisture. He's perfectly fine. Go to him. Keep irrigating. I haven't, I'm not harvesting yet. This was more of a discipling program. He's was already saved, right? That's what I'm saying. This, this metaphor goes both ways. It goes in who God brings you to, to show why you need Christ more evangelical and it works in discipling same thing God grows the depth of my maturity or other people's maturity in my discipleship not me I just keep watering it but again if I didn't have confidence if I had fear that God's going to chastise me or or, or I'm not even going to go to him because I'm fearful of him. Then I didn't believe Ephesians chapter 3, 12. I didn't believe the promise. I didn't understand the goodness of God and the greatness of God. I didn't understand all that. So I would run from it. And I bet you a lot of us in this room at some part in our our walk are that way. And I bet you a lot of us that are new believers, I guarantee that way, are that way. And you know what? If this one sermon just touches the new people and you skip everything that I went through, and you find yourself somebody to disciple you and community to help you do that and, and sits there when you, because you're going to mess up. You're either going to overwater and God say, Well, I, I protect them in the growth on that one too. Or you're going to underwater and God's going to grow bigger roots and get them down to moisture. Or I'm going to take a, a bean seed and plant it a bit too shallow and there's not enough moisture and God's going to say, Yeah, but you forgot that dew I gave the other day. The dew was just enough to germinate because it's my job to grow. And the more I understand that role, the more I can sit permanently with joy in Ephesians 3, chapter 12, verse 12. With boldness, that word can be boldness or openness or freedom to go to my Father in heaven and ask him anything I need to ask him without fear because I'm confident because Christ bled for my ability to do that so don't be scared don't be fearful don't feel unworthy it's an amazing promise amazing promise live in it our God is faithful he didn't say that maybe sometimes he says come live here and everyone in here that's been saved by Christ's blood has that if god's drawing you right now and let's talk about it and he built this church this body of christ brothers and sisters to help you do it because as you learn you're going to need somebody to help you irrigate you're going to need somebody to help you plant i've been blessed to have two or three men and that i still have one i've actually got more than one now i've got bill i watch miguel I watch a lot of people. I see planting and irrigating hearts and servanthood. And a lot of people that have been here for a long time, it's there's there's just who we are. That man right there plants and irrigates all the time. Sometimes you're over water. Sometimes you're making them dry. But God's still going to grow them through that. Because God is faithful. In, in, let's conclude. Begin to clearly understand our position in the universal sermon that God has given. I don't need to be the combine. I'm not the combine. We're not the combine. We don't get the harvest, but we get to serve God getting a crop. A citrus crop is 365 days, it's not one irrigation. You got to walk around soil and feel the soil to make sure the moisture is bright. It's intimacy. It's love. It's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians to young Timothy. He goes, with all patience and kindness, when enduring evil. Keep going. He was talking about discipling or talking to one guy. If the guy puts you in a point of ostracization, God says, be patient and kind to him. So God may cause him to repent. God's will for, it, for us. First Thessalonians 5.17 Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you're struggling finding joy in your walk, jump right in the middle of Ephesians. 3 Verse 12, and God will give you joy. Let us pray. Holy Father, uh, thank you. Uh, Thank you for reminding me uh, to be diligent in the work you have given me, to be joyful, to treasure it, to find it the greatest treasure for you to hand me a seed. And say go plant. To be the greatest treasure to say. Bill. There's a field. Go irrigate. Let us be our heart desire. For you to do that. Because you've given us. This promise. That as as we're carrying out the treasures. That you have given us. That we have full. Free access. To you. Confidence. Paid for. And through your son alone. Oh father. I hope that we just. uh, That I just. Go deeper in it. That a new believer. Steps right in the middle. Of this promise. And this truth. That uh, somebody that just. Has been. Enjoying it. uh, For six months. Or a year. Just desires it deeper. For their life. That it becomes their treasure. And that Christ becomes their all in all. We're secure there. Only place in all this crazy world that we're secure is in this promise. So we thank you, Lord, in the sufficiency and supremacy of your Son in all things. Amen.